how exactly do you decide when to raise? The market rewards you for raising money, much more than it should. But the hard part is not to raise money, it's to get customers to pay, to subscribe, to extend. That, that's the hard part. Hey, bootstrappers! Welcome to Bootstrap Stories, the podcast where founders, marketers, and thoughtful leaders share the most actionable tips on building a successful business. After meeting with hundreds of bootstrappers in the past years, I figured out that we all struggle to grow our businesses. But the truth is that most of us don't know where to ask for help or advice. That's why I decided to start this podcast, to give you all the keys to succeed at every stage of your business, all the tested strategies for solving your struggles and taking your business to a new level. No fluff, no bullshit, only a real talk between friends that help each other succeed. Today, my guest for this episode is Nicolas Vanderberg, CEO and co-founder of Chili Piper. Hey, Nicolas, and welcome to Bootstrap Stories. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have you. We're two uh, native French speakers, so for our listeners, we would get the little accent during this episode. It's um, gonna sound funny a little <laughs> bit, yeah, because <laughs> we were chatting in French just before. And um, for people who might not know about uh, Chili Piper, can you give us a bit of uh, background about the company when you started and where you're at right now? Yeah. Um, so. Our core product is a thing called Form Concierge. It's a very simple uh, problem that we solve. People come to a website, uh, B2B companies. They want to have a demo. They fill a form. They submit a demo. I'd like to see a demo. They get a page. Thank you. Somebody's going to call you. And then they're left wondering who's going to call me when. And companies typically lose half their pipeline through that process because people don't call back or by the time they've moved on. So what we do is that we do a smart solution that based upon form submission, um, qualify the prospect, routes the right team, comes back with just a few slots, and one click later, the meeting is booked. So typically, we get our, our uh, customers to go from 40% uh, conversion rate to 80 90% conversion rate. So that's our core product. It's called Concierge, and then we've built around it. The company is now um, 240 employees. Uh, wow. I think like, like you guys, we're fully remote. I'm very proud of that. We have uh, people in... 180 different cities and 40 different countries. So that's huge uh, all over the world. Yeah, and that's a that's a topic of interest. Um, go, going back a bit to the to the numbers, you started being bootstrapped for about uh, two years, and then after that, you decided to to raise, and you had like a seed, Series A, Series B. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. Okay, happening <laughs> very fast. Yeah. And uh, why why have you decided to to kind of like make that switch from being bootstrapped to raise funds? Um. So so the, the, the there's more to the story, and since we have time, I'll I'll, I'll tell the time. So uh, I'm a repeat entrepreneur. It's like what I love to do. I love creating companies. So I've done companies before, and in in um. Like about 10 years ago, I was running a sales team and they were all reluctant to use Salesforce and uh, I had to bribe them to use Salesforce. And I was looking at my daughters and uh, I had to bribe them to stop using the apps, right? And I'm thinking, this is a weird world where uh, <laughs> you know these people refuse to use the app and these people refuse to stop using the app. So I thought I'm going to build a, a solution for sales and marketing, like the new generation of apps that people love using and make, make their life easy. And the first problem I, I found was that very problem that people don't want to use Salesforce. So I thought I'm going to build a smart system that updates Salesforce automatically. And that was 2013. 
So um, that's how I got started. But I, I always wanted to build cool tools for sales and marketing. Nice. So I built this solution that goes into their calendar, um, email, contacts, automatically find information and update Salesforce. I started the company. Then I found that a company in Israel called Implicit had the same idea. And the company in San Francisco called Relate IQ also had the same idea. And they thought it was such a big idea that they should go and bundle it with their own CRM and go and kill Salesforce. And that thought, this is crazy. So I, I started that company. It was called Floating Up 2013. And then um, I raised, uh, at that time, I raised uh, a million and a half from angels. Okay. Just to build the system before it could go. And then I found that uh, some VP at Salesforce decided to buy the company in Israel, Implicit. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of bad news because not Salesforce, uh, my main partner had bought my competitor. And then Mark Benioff, uh, six months later, spent $400 million to buy Really Take You and integrate it. Right? So wow. <laughs> it's something that never, never happened to me in my many startups where my partner not only buys one, but two companies that are my competitors. <laughs> so at, at some stage, my angel investors said, look, you're dead. Just uh, you have to move on. You're dead. And so what I did is that uh, we restarted with Alina. Alina came on board and rebrand, we rebranded and restarted Chili Pepper. I said, okay, let, okay, let's stay with the same vision, but but uh, but uh, start again. And at that time, it felt like it was super important to just find a problem that was um, clear and get to revenues as fast as possible because we, we had this big vision of um, how the world of sales marketing is going to change. Um, but we, we were in that situation where, you know, the... We had just gotten hit by a bus and it really felt like we were not going to go with the grand vision. We we're just going to put your focus. So that's the reason why we bootstrapped. So in, in a way, we always thought of a company as something that's going to grow big and, and going to be uh, hopefully um, IPO someday. But we needed to start uh, narrow. So that, that's why we bootstrapped. So the original plan was just to bootstrap for a year, right? And get revenues and that. But... Um, and what we started with was a very narrow problem that you're actually very familiar with. It was the handoff between SDRs and account executives. So when um, an, an SDR has a, a catch and is ready to book the meeting, then they have to find who's next in the round robin. If it's round robin, then find the calendar, create the invite. And it, it used to take them seven minutes and they make a lot of mistakes. So we automated that process. But as you, as you know very well, it, it's a very specific uh, problem. And we never thought it was the future of a company. We just thought this is how we get started. And it worked really well. We, 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 uh, we started in January 16. We finished that product in four months. Uh, we had somebody prepay for it so that we already had money to for this product, a company called Five Stars. Then we signed Greenhouse in New York um, in oh. May. I got my first $6,000 check. <laughs> <laughs> and then we signed Square. We signed all these people. And what happened is that it worked really well. So we did better than we expected. And at the same time, the product was very uh, uh, unusual. So there was no interest from venture capitalists. Right? They were basically going to invest in that little thing that does a handoff. Um, so we just continued until we found this bigger problem that I mentioned, the uh, form submission. And then when we did that, um, we did something amazing. Uh, this company called Segment did an A-B test to see if it's true that awesome. Um, and they found that we doubled their pipeline. So they bought immediately. So then wow. I thought, okay, VCs are going to be all over us. So I pinged a few VCs and they still didn't understand what we were doing. So I thought, you know what, we, uh, we're doing great. We, uh, we can continue until, until the financial market um, 
understand catches up, then catches yeah. up with us yes yeah and he did it's <laughs> <So> that's funny <laughs> um, um I, I don't know how it happened to you but um we um it, it, it happened at a very unusual time so in early 2020 uh actually i caught covid coming back from la and uh, and i thought shit this thing is going to be a disaster and um we may lose our company because we we were we had done a smaller seed uh, it was like a side thing but essentially we were continuing operating uh, as a bootstrap company so with very little uh, cash so i thought uh, she's super risky but um we did this payroll protection program that they have in the US where you could get uh, 300K uh, free pretty much, like you never have to reimburse. And we just didn't have layoffs, we just continue operating. And this month, March, April, May, we did very well. Um, we lost some customers to COVID, but we also gained a lot of new customers. So then the VCs uh, came all over us. It was, it was crazy. We went from uh, people understanding to people begging me to take their money. <laughs> and so then we thought, okay, now it's the time, right? We're going to, to go. And I had been told um, that the world of funding these days is very uh, asymmetrical in that in the early days, nobody wants to fund you. But once you have signs of success, everybody wants to fund you. So you go from uh, being the worst company in the planet to being the best company <laughs> in the planet without even changing anything in your business. Uh, so that that's the answer to a question. We we always thought we someday we'd raise money. Okay, um, it was a matter of when it's the right time and, 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 uh, and, and valuation and and do we have a plan that justifies uh, spending money? And how exactly do you like uh, decide when to raise? Is it based on uh, revenue milestone or is it more regarding the opportunity and whether or not you can have like people, you know, like who are willing to spend uh, for another round or add money when it's there? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, traditionally, uh, in my previous company, in, in the previous world, uh, it was the first uh, path. So I'd go raise money when when it was I'd achieved some milestones and um, I'd looked for the next funding and you look at how much money you have left. But now the world has changed. You have this heavy interest, uh, as I mentioned, uh, uh, from VCs who have to deploy money. So it becomes much more opportunistic. So, for example, when we did our B round, we hadn't even touched our A round yet. Wow. Um, okay. <laughs> but but uh, the opportunity um, the opportunity came, and uh, it was very compelling, and and uh, we took the money. Um, so that's how we most likely will continue doing it. It's more opportunistic when we uh, we, we we make sure that we have enough cash for a long time, and then we wait until the nice opportunity comes. What, what I found that uh, that I didn't expect is something that's very really relevant to you is that uh, the market rewards you for raising money much more than it should. So you and I know as entrepreneurs that the hard part is not to raise money, it's to get customers to pay, to subscribe, to extend. That, that's the hard part. Um, and if you say, look, I have uh, a thousand customers, and we passed a thousand customers a while back, um, paying happy, that doesn't seem to impress people. But if you say, I did a Series B, uh, 33 million from Tiger Global, then uh, social yeah, networks are, is, uh, are all over <laughs> you. Yeah, right. Which is, is puzzling because it's much less of an, of an achievement, but, uh, but it's how people think. So it has a very, uh, it has had a very uh, positive impact on us, um, this, especially the second, but even the first uh, A round with uh, 
base 10 to which Flashpoint uh, contributed um, was very visible and helped us. And the B-Round helped. So it helps us with, with employees, with customers, with, with general reputation, and, um, much, nice. much, much more than I expected. And uh, right now, what's kind of like your current ARR or like a ballpark? Yeah, we, we're aiming for um, 30 to 35 uh, this year. Okay, That's where nice. we're going, yeah. And uh, you want to raise at the end of the year or just uh, when you have the... <laughs> uh, no, literally, like we said, I want to raise when somebody comes and give me an offer that I can't that is, choose, uh, okay. which is exactly what happened with the beer round. Right? <laughs> and nice. so uh, <laughs> I, 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 a lot of VCs are reaching out to us and and I can tell that they're not going to do it. Right, right now with the low market, they can't yeah. afford to go to the LPs and say, look how much I paid. I mean, it's not completely true because I look at... Um, uh, replaying uh, yesterday and they raised at uh, 11 billion, right? So obviously, there is still money. <laughs> yeah, there's money and there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's uh, I was going to say hope, uh, more more confidence, right? There's confidence that, that successful companies can be. So that may happen. It may happen. It could be the next month I call you back and I say, okay, we just did a C round. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be that it will be next year. Either way, we're okay. We, we have a plan. We're executing on our plan. We're yeah. having a blast. Nice, which is the most important part. And I'm really curious because um, you are very driven with uh, with sales. So you have like a, quite an important sales team with everyone like uh, being remote. Um, I know you were managing like uh, prior to that, like a sales team. Um, how exactly have you managed to build like a, a strong culture in the sales team? And how right now kind of are you like uh, structured within the team? Yeah, so so uh, I'll give you a funny uh, anecdote. Um, when we started, we were remote from, from the beginning, and we thought, okay, now it's time to build an SDR team. So you are right that uh, sales is my background. So at the beginning, I was a salesperson. So and I had call. Uh, my, my, I wasn't very uh, advanced digitally. I would just go to uh, events. And just talk to people because I, I love talking to people. So that was my sales uh, motion. And I'd hit on people, hey, uh, do you have a sales team? Yeah, do you have SDRs? Yeah. How do you book your meetings? How about we do a demo? And I book a demo on my phone. So when we came to uh, build a, an SDR team, and I enjoyed it, so it worked. Uh, since we sell to SDRs, I look at our customers and I look which teams are the most best performing. And I found in our customer base, uh, I don't know if you do that, but um, it's your, you also have access to this information. A, a company in California where each SDR was booking between 60 and 80 meetings a month. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I thought, okay, I want that guy who's making that happen. So, uh, you know, as luck would have, uh, we, we started talking and he was interested in making a move. So he came to work for us and he said, look, the way to do it is that uh, you need to, the SDR team all together is critical. I know you have a remote world, but uh, it's critical to have the SDR all together. Um, I said, okay, in that case, we're going to build uh, an SDR team in Culver City in LA, California. So we start hiring. And I was nowhere near 60 to 70 meetings a month. It wasn't working. <laughs> we were booking like three or four. We were struggling with our team of SDRs. And then as luck would have it, that person who we hire wanted to move to San Francisco. Okay. 
So he conveniently changed his mind on whether it was important to, <laughs> to be there or not be there. And in the end, we started hiring remotely. And what we did to answer your question of how we motivate people, um, um, we do everything on uh, on Zoom and on Slack. And we have a lot of uh, rituals. So things that... Uh, uh, build uh, the team and the funny thing is that it's not like we just we thought of this ritual we didn't think of it we just thought of the things that would be fun to do so uh every friday we have a company meeting and we honor the animal of the week the person who's like oh, it's so good he's an animal or she's an okay. animal right so <laughs> so that that that's very very visible we also have the unicorn of the week the person who is so helpful and so aligned with uh, our values of uh, help um, that that the person has one. Um, we have, um, of course, like channels for um, closed deals, meetings booked, right? And and we encourage one another. Then we have a thing called make papers meeting happen. So this is the piece I love the most. Whenever, so because we are remote, people tend to be um, travelers. Like a lot of people who apply to companies like yours or mine uh, are people who enjoy being in different places, right? And think that life is too short to not visit other countries. So when they fly to different places, then we pay for dinner and accommodation to get together. Right? Okay. So there's a Slack channel make purpose meeting happen. And this is the most amazing uh, thing you see. Uh, oh, we just got together in Brazil at this festival. Oh, we just got together in South Africa. Oh, we just got together in Atlanta or in Nashville. In, and so they're there, even though they're not together, they occasionally get together. And when they do, it's to party, right? We, we pay for the yeah. booze and, and, and the restaurant. <laughs> and uh, it's not to review the numbers and check who's doing what is to, is to, is to party. So th- th- that gives a very special um, relationship to one another, whether anytime you know you can uh, meet. And it's somebody, it doesn't have to be within the sales team, it's anybody in the company to, uh, to get together. So that, that, does seem to work to create a bond um, among our team members. And then the last piece is that once a year we get together for something completely uh, extravagant. So well, it got more extravagant as we raised more money <laughs> when we would strap <laughs> the, 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 the first trip was in. <laughs> That's right, exactly. The, fir- the first trip was India, so it was on the cheap. Then we did Paris, which was nice for, especially for our American friends. Then I wanted to do the closing of the Pasha Club in Ibiza. So I decided to wow. take everybody and we go do that. And okay. that was amazing. <laughs> and then a bunch of our team members were in Tulum. They were sending us pictures of their life in Tulum. And I said, I want everybody to have that life. <laughs> so we, we all flew to Tulum. That was last year. It was amazing. Uh, and this year, we're going to the deserts of uh, Morocco. Wow. Nice. Yeah. yeah. To, to like have our own... Uh, own Burning Man uh, event uh, <laughs> and on the cheap paper. How many people do you have in uh, in your like uh, HR team to organize all these things? That's a great question. For the longest time, we had zero. Okay. And now we have. Um, um, ironically, the person who organized all these things is is so the make papers meeting happened. People self-organized. Okay. The trip once a year, ironically, the person who organized it is an amazing product manager. She's a team lead. Um, we just love traveling and does an amazing job with it. So it's not even done by people, uh, our people team. Our people team has two legs. One is uh, recruiting. So now we have uh, three or four people full-time on recruiting as we need to grow. And the other piece that most companies our stage don't have is uh, coaching. 
Okay. So we have uh, three people whose job is all about coaching. And the reason why we did that is uh, I was thinking about um, what I would expect from a company. If I join a company, what, what, what would I want? And I thought I want two things. I want uh, freedom and flexibility. I can work anywhere I want. And that's amazing. But I also want professional growth. Mm. So from the very beginning, we said, look, when you come in, you tell us what you want to grow into, right? You you you, you have to do what we call a plan, a Piper plan, to tell us what is it you're interested in, how you see your future. If you're an SDR, do you want to become an account executive? Do you want to be an SDR leader? Do you want to change? Uh, think about where you want to grow. And we're going to try the company to get you there as fast as possible and as as um, uh, seamlessly as possible. So we started with this plan. Then if we're really serious about it, we have to have somebody uh, manage them. So we hired that person. And as we grew, uh, we now have three, three people who uh, have people focused on growth. And we are um, also one of the few companies uh, that don't have retention targets. Because the okay. idea is that if we help you grow, then maybe you don't want to grow in our company. We want to grow doing something else or it's not very much. So um, we actually have high retention we don't have a churn problem uh but uh, when if somebody decides to leave then 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 we very supportive and say this is which is part of the deal that we we help you so so um our people team uh, the answer we must be uh, so three four in recruiting plus three uh but there's nobody uh we have no one person who helps in um in the more operational uh, piece but this very recent and you know we didn't have anybody to to take care of these things it was just self-organizing nice that's uh, that's really impressive and the the type of profile that you hire as kind of like coach what does what were they doing like before because there are not a lot of companies who are doing that so was it like uh, coaches who decided to join full-time or were they just like hr who wanted to be more focused on people growth and what is kind of like their scope Uh, in terms of coaching and things that they can implement to help uh, your employees grow? Yeah, so the answer to your first question is that they were coaches, so people who are okay. typically already, uh, there are some certifications now in, in, in the world of coaching, so they were t um, typically certified. Okay. Uh, the scope is interesting because the first, when she started, uh, she said, uh, oh, we have uh, this particular problem with... with some of the marketing team members. And I said, okay, well, tell me. And she said, well, I can't tell you. And I said, well, <laughs> what do you mean you can't tell me? <laughs> you work for Chili Piper, you tell me. She said, well, no, I'm a coach. If I help them, I can't tell you. So that was a very interesting dynamic. It's like, do we um, uh, do we have coaches um, that work for the company, therefore should tell me or not? And we decided that uh, it was the right thing to do, that, that they operate like, coaches like, like you would get from the outside. So the scope is what an, an outside coach would do, helping you grow your career. Um, so it can be, uh, it, it's it's uh, um, typically um, both um, career goals and then uh, um, operational improvement. So for example, uh, if people have a hard time managing, right, they will help them say, how do you do managers? If you have time, uh, Uh, managing up and so it's it's both a career and and actual uh, personal improvement um and the feedback is great i mean um people said uh, 
uh, uh, three three uh, cultures are amazing, and uh, and and uh, our employees finding uh, very uh, valuable that um, that we do that. We also, have, if we're talking about um, people, then I, I have to mention something we're doing that I'm super excited about. Um, I stumbled upon uh, well. Last year, when we raised our B round, uh, we decided it was 33 million. Um, Alina and I went to the board and said, we're going to take, take 1 million and move into a foundation to do good. Okay. It was actually funny because say, maybe, maybe you don't do 1 million. And I said, look, if we don't do 1 million, we're not serious. So we do 1 million. So we put 1 million in the foundation. And the do good that we want to do with Alina is try to uh, um, eliminate uh, violence. The way I think of the world is that. Uh, now that we've uh, eliminated uh, slavery, that we uh, have, have understood that racism should not happen, then the next step in humankind is violence. We should, nobody should be violence against one another, not verbally, not physically. Not. And I stumbled upon a book called The Nonviolence Communication. Mm. Uh, are, are you familiar with this book? Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've, uh, yeah, I've studied quite a lot nonviolent communication because I find it like super interesting. But yeah, continue, continue. Well, so I, it was like it was Christmas uh, last Christmas, and I just couldn't believe it. And so um, we, um, so of course, I took to the coaches and said, "Oh yeah, of course we know about it. It's, it's everything." So we, we started uh, making it part of our uh, onboarding process. Communication, and we started doing these uh, workshops on nonviolent communication. So our goal is to uh, train everybody in the company on uh, becoming a nonviolent communicator. So uh, actually, I have this little uh, this is the sun to remind me that uh, nice. I should be focused on <laughs> nonviolent, <laughs> nonviolent communication. So I'm super excited about this, this uh, project. And, uh, I think it's uh, it can be life changing to to go through the process and become a nonviolent communicator. And if I can change not only my life, but the life of 240 people, who in turn will change the life of all the people around them. Um, then it, it's a, a side That's effect huge. of, yeah, it's a side effect of building a company I would have never, um, never um, anticipated. And I think like that's really interesting to understand how you've been building like uh, such a team in very like a short amount of time. And I'm curious to understand, you know, like uh, you were mentioning at the very beginning, you were the one uh, doing sales, going at events, closing deals, getting that first uh, 6K from uh, Greenhouse and then moving to like uh, other companies. What was kind of like the, the big, I would say, like phase and transition towards your growth? And what were the acquisition channels that you've used the most to drive such a hyper growth overall? Uh, yes, so the, the um, nice thing about our product is that uh, it has a viral aspect. So uh, when you book a meeting with Chili Pepper, say, well, that was cool. Um, and then you say, I want to try it out. So from the beginning, that has been helpful to us. From the beginning, we, we had inbound prospect that came not of our marketing efforts, just of, uh, of the fact that our product is viral. So that was actually the majority of our sales. I mean, sure, obviously, it only started once I had closed enough deals yeah. for them to, <laughs> to be in the market. But um, so quickly, we, we started getting this inbound interest. And so I hired a account executive at first, um, and, and that, that was driving the business. And to these days, it's, it's still a large portion of our business. 
Um, then I built, as I mentioned, the SDR team to try to have an outbound and, and be more targeted. Um, then that drove our business uh, and still does today. Um, it's, it's close to uh, close to half. Um, and it's only later than too late that I did a marketing motion. So all the stuff you, you do great at Lemlist, uh, the content, uh, this community, the these things. Looking back, it's definitely something I would have started much earlier. You know, and things have. We all want right, to start marketing more. earlier, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> but look, yeah, yeah. So some people. Uh, uh, have more regrets than other on that. <laughs> and uh, so that, 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 yeah, that's where we are today. It, it's a relatively balanced now with, uh, among all of, of these motions. We, we, we're making a lot of progress on, on the marketing front. Um, we can uh, continue growing our SDR team and, and the product-led uh, uh, pipeline is, is still strong. And how big is uh, the, the sales team right now? So we would have about the... Let's say 30 SDRs, 20 plus A's, and 15 to 20 account managers. Account managers are very important to us because we are, we have cross-selling. We okay. Um, we have new products, initial products that we we and uh, that we want to expand. And your uh, account managers are they also uh, doing support, or do you have a dedicated support team that answers also like questions? Yeah, I'll tell you a, a funny story on that one. Um, uh, because it's, it's a question that a lot of people have, which is, do, should CS uh, be responsible for booking the renewal, for example, right? Uh, is, what is CS? Do they sell? Do they cross-sell? Uh, why, why, uh, why, why not? So when we started, I was doing all the closing, and Alina was doing all the onboarding. Um, so Alina is my wife and co-founder. Um, she's head of uh, product. So she do the onboarding. People would love uh, her. And buy more licenses across. So I thought, okay, she's the way to do it. It makes sense. In sales, the key is to build trust, right? So mm -hmm. by doing the onboarding really well, you build trust. And then once you have the trust, you just monetize it, so to speak, and, and sell more, uh, more products. So I defined this role called the relationship manager. And I started hiring for that role, which has this combination of uh, customer success and, uh, and uh, account management, relationship manager. And then I went to the Gainsight conference. Have you ever been to Pulse, the Gainsight no. conference? No, okay. never. So it's, 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 it was in San Francisco, it's this Moscone Center, this giant building. I walk into the room, it's a giant room, there's a guy on stage with a suit and tie, looking very impressive. He said, hey, I'm the uh, head of uh, consulting at uh, Vista Equity. Okay. So at Vista Equity, we buy companies, put best practices and make them successful. And since we're here to talk about customer success, I'm going to do my, give you my first advice. Do not put CS and account management together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> it is the completely wrong thing to do. And I'm thinking, okay, somebody is wrong in this room and I'm going to find out who that is very soon. <laughs> and, and, and sure enough, um, it was me who was wrong. This relationship manager didn't work at all because the the, the profile and and, and um, vibe of a successful CSM is very different from the profile and vibe of an account manager. They're both around relationships, there's no question, but the CSM is all about helping. I had one of my CSM relationship manager at the time tell me, uh, I said, but why didn't you uh, offer to you know sell the other department, say? And he say, um, well, I didn't want to come across it like I'm selling. 
I'm thinking, mm. but you are selling your yeah. job. That's, what, that's, that's what we decided. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it, it is still this vibe that the CSMs are pure, helpful, and they can't manage us, deal with, with contractual. So that's what we've done. It's working beautifully now. It's working beautifully. It's um, nice. The guy was definitely right. No, that's that's really interesting. And uh, what's typically like the the account size that you are looking for? Um, we've been uh, naturally successful with uh, SaaS companies, so uh, that's what has come to us. Uh, and and uh, I would say mostly mid market, so people who have uh, maybe fifty to hundred reps. Okay, uh, it's, it's been a sweet spot. But we also cater to smaller companies um, <clears throat> because uh, as soon as you have. Uh, you know, more than five reps, you do want to make sure that they that you don't waste your inbound and also you can book your meetings. And um, we've also had success with enterprise. Ironically, very early on, because our product, our product addresses a complex problem, our product uh, became very uh, feature-rich and deep. So, we, are, for example, we already have the ability to do workspaces for different teams, uh, mm. The ability to do. Uh, we stuck to we stuck to uh, compliant very early on. We uh, we uh, support single sign on and all, all these things very early on. Mostly because we were dealing with SaaS companies that were very forward thinking, so they were asking us these things. So then we started get, getting a, a fair amount of business in the enterprise world. Uh, we have you know Facebook, Expedia, Intuit as customers. So we want to push that motion. So um, so right now you're focusing going up market to enterprise. Or we we know we're adding the enterprise motion. I wouldn't say we're focusing. We, we're not trying to lead uh, okay. our, core, our core business. We're just trying to add that motion because because we can. So, um, in the old days, you'd say well, you have to focus here. Yeah, you enterprise or you in marketing. In the new days, you find a lot of companies that can cater to all of them. Um, not every business can happen that way, but uh, you know, if you look at Slack, they can start with a uh, with a team of three and and go all the way to Chase Bank, right? Yes. So so it, it's now possible in the SaaS world that uh, in the old days, it was very different uh, when it was software on-premises. Uh, you had to decide whether your software was on, on a tape that's loaded into an IBM computer or on a diskette that's loaded on a Mac, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it was very different. Uh, now uh, it's all SaaS, so you can have different offerings of different uh, different tiers. Um, so and, so and that's what we're doing. And whenever you wanted to uh, have this transition with, uh, you know, like SSO certifications, etc., to be able to close like these deals, what came to your mind? Because obviously, you know, whenever you have to make this uh, kind of like changes on your product, it means that the product team needs to be focused on specific things that will kind of like slow down the roadmap, etc. Like, so what's your strategy as a CEO uh, to say, okay, guys, we have to do it, or I'm going to rephrase the question. When exactly do you choose to go for it, and you know, or to say no? Actually, yeah. So um, it was always more DNA to uh, be more on that side. Uh, as I mentioned, we we didn't do a good job uh, in the early days of, of building um, <coughs> um, the bottom-up approach. We we had, um, the reality that our product 
even the first product we were doing the handoff was quite complex. It was touching teams and fairness and, and how to set it up. So it was never something you would just put your credit card and, and go. It was always something you talk to us about it and uh, what, what we offer, how it works, and how they're going to solve their problem. And our new product, well, not new, but the, the second form concierge is even more complex. It's your inbound process, all your inbound process. So it's not something you can try and say, uh, I'm going to put half my inbound uh, process on this process and the other that like, people would get completely confused. So as a result, uh, from the beginning, we, we, we've we had to talk to our, our prospects and um, and we had this kind of a top-down approach, uh, you know, as opposed to bottom-up. So we, we're never strong in the, in the bottom-up. So to answer your question, when people came in and say, hey, um, this is great, but I need a... You to support Okta. It was like, yeah, we support Okta because we have other companies that are asking for that. So we were always okay. in in that direction. Now that's that's interesting. And uh, right now, I guess like uh, your goal is to uh, reach uh, 100 million in ARR in the in the coming years. So what's uh, for you like uh, the the biggest challenge towards uh, towards that goal? Um. You're absolutely right. That's our goal, and as fast as possible. The way we plan to get there is by expanding our product line. I think what we what we're finding is that, to my surprise, for five years, nobody chased us on our core business, and we could have gone much faster. Um, but that form concierge. Now, finally, people are thinking. Oh, you you hear. Um, Companies like Drift and Canonly making announcements. Uh, no, I, I know it's not Canonly's bidding on the chili pepper keyword. So, you know, like <laughs> that, 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 until now that it means that you're doing the right thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. So now we, we think the market is, is maturing and, and uh, more offerings will be there. And we have to have a, a broader offering that's compelling. So that's our, our number one. Uh, challenge is to is to build this 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 line of products that that um is full, full platform. And the second piece is what we said earlier, the self-serve motion is something that uh, that is very powerful and that we've under-invested in. And so we want to invest more in the self-serve motion. Um, it, it, uh, I think it's a, a bit overstated. Uh, there are companies, if you look at a company like Outreach in your space, they never yeah. had a self-serve motion and yeah. they're reasonably successful, right? As, yeah, yeah. As, as I'm sure you know well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so you can succeed without it, but if you have uh, the opportunity to be in a business where you can make it work, then then why not? You should make it work. So these are our two challenges. We're running our product line and we're going to make ourselves a uh, motion uh, work. Um, but I'm very excited. We, we're taking all the right steps uh, uh, right now. Um, that's one of the reasons why uh, we're not raising money is uh, people come to us and say, um, I feel like, uh, wait until you see what we have in the works. Yeah. You'll, be, uh, you'll be amazed <laughs> and then we'll talk. Uh, that's nice. And uh, yeah, do, do, do you find yourself, uh, so you've done that self-serve motion really, really well at Lemlist, right? Do, yeah. do, do you... Um, do you find yourself being able to compete with Outreach by growing the teams and, and having them stay with you? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually like uh, our challenge right now. So we've seen uh, companies switching from uh, Outreach to us, like uh, companies like Zendesk, etc. Like, uh, you know, because we had like some unique features that they didn't really have or wanted to deploy. But um, it's very much of a challenge right now for us to really like uh, step up, you know, like uh, and go a bit more upmarket. 
because we're seeing some companies who are like fine and upselling and adding seats as their sales team is growing and others that are a bit uh, limited sometimes, you know, with uh, typically this type of things like uh, SSO, Otka, you know, like all those things that I never wanted to look at just because I wanted to be focused. But right now it's uh, it's really part also of our growth and strategy in the in the next years are we're doing as we're doing also the same of expanding into multi products, but to have like this kind of uh, leveling up, I would say in terms of all the things that uh, SMBs or uh, early enterprise would need. But definitely right now we're yeah. Right now we're uh, we crossed uh, ten million in ARR uh, about like uh, four or five months ago. And uh, we are 50-something. <laughs> wow. Mm -mm. That's a good ratio. Yeah, it's to pretty, good, uh, pretty good uh, revenue yeah, per yeah, employee. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you, you've not had to be around like us. <laughs> <laughs> but the goal, yeah, it's to, it's to scale, uh, scale as well. <laughs> and you have a, a big announcement uh, coming as well um, on the product side. Uh, product side, yeah, we are, uh, yeah, we have a few big announcements that we're gonna keep a bit uh, secret for the next uh, six months, I think. But uh, yeah, it's quite quite exciting. <laughs> ah, it's a long, long. Uh, it's an eternity. Six months you have to wait. It is. It is. So the marketing team is uh, is getting ready. <laughs> That's the nice part. <laughs> and um, I was I was really curious because um, you've also you know like uh, co-founded multiple business before. Um, and in this podcast, I love to also share, you know, like the, the tough times as an entrepreneur, because it's not only, you know, like uh, positive times, it's a lot of up and downs, lots of roller coasters. So what were for you like uh, two to three things that were like really difficult uh, during that time of being an entrepreneur and uh, your learnings from this uh, from these times? Uh, yeah, so... Um the hard part of entrepreneurs is always, is always to to find a, a product market fit, right? As as uh, Mark Anderson famously said, is find something that people want or a program. We say that, um, but sometimes, um, so it has happened to me that uh, the market has turned on me. So I mentioned the, the one recently where Salesforce bought two of my mm -hmm. competitors. Yeah. So there are things you can't control. Um, and um, and and so the, the big lesson is is to be very clear on on what it is you can control and what you cannot control. So what 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 are the trends that are stronger than you and what are the things you can influence? Because fundamentally, as an entrepreneur, you want to uh, it's your job to change the world, right? As Steve Jobs would say, right? In your case, it's your job to do the you know uh, uh, an outreach tool that's much more friendly that works better than convert, and you're going to change that and uh, and and. If you don't have a certain amount of, of faith, then you know to move anywhere. But faith has to be uh, it has to be uh, um, say um, I'm looking for the word uh, not reasonable, but uh, uh, aware uh, yeah. aware of the environment. So it has happened to me. I've had this story since you were mentioned my past. Uh, Earlier in my career, that that was like a, a massive exposure to that reality is when I did my second company. It was a dot com in the late nineties, okay. and I went from uh, I went from zero to five million dollars in booking, five and a half million dollars in booking, and sixty five employees in eleven months. Wow! Yeah, 
Right. That's we huge. did something yeah, and struggled. We found product market fit and we hired people. Um, at the time, money was abundant. We, we had a VC come in. We didn't raise that much money. We really had those people prepay for other things. Um, the problem is that it was uh, 1999. exactly that was the problem and of course that cliff of 2000 nobody saw it nobody nobody could believe it would happen even when it started people said it's okay it's okay and then the the entire market collapsed so the funding froze so all my customers uh, went bankrupt because they know funding right we all operated in the model that money is abundant you just uh, just just spend money don't worry so my customers started going under one after the other and 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 then uh and but before that happened, um, early 2000, February 2000, I had an offer to buy my company for 60 million. Um, so back 20 years ago, 60 million was even that's more. huge. <laughs> and I, I had three quarters of the company that bootstrapped. Um, I, I, I had mostly bootstrapped uh, with my own money that had been from the previous company. So here I am uh, sitting on you know for, for 45 million dollars uh, in my letter of intent. Uh, you know, thinking the world is great. It was 13 months into it. And then the market turned, the letter of intent disappeared. Oh, <laughs> I had to lay off um, 35 of my 65 people. We don't do 30. Then I had to lay off more people. And in the end, uh, in the end, uh, I did what's called an asset deal with Microsoft, which means that they take your assets. Okay. It, it, it's, um, it's synonymous for... Uh, uh, um, Bad exits, you know. I mean, it's like, you know, like you know, people don't want to take you on. They just pick, yeah. pick the pieces that are, that are good and let and let you die. So I actually literally had to shut down the uh, um, shut down the company. I did these things. Some of my engineers were super happy. You know, they have big career. In, some of them went on to Amazon because they, wow. uh, Microsoft moved very rich to Seattle. So. Um, um, there's some big careers, so at least some people uh, made the most of it. But but for me, it was quite extreme, right? And and there was not so much I could have done, right? When all your customers go bankrupt, you have no revenues. It, it's um, it's very hard to control. So what I did is that uh, I know one of your questions on your podcast is uh, how do you find yourself to recover from these hard times? Mm-hmm. Um, I went to work in Nepal for three weeks. Wow! So I went to walk in the mountains, and a friend of mine recommended it. Um, he said, "You know, when you walk, your your mind clears, and it's exactly what happened. You feel you're in the mountains. You think it doesn't matter. You see people poorer than you are. And you think, what am I complaining about? So, uh, so it's a thing that, uh, as you know, I remember with Alina in the early days of Chili Piper, where the directions were unclear and we didn't know how different players were going to play. We'd walk around the block in Culver City and walk and walk and walk. Like, <laughs> um, we, um, half, half the time we strategize, half the time we, we just breathe. So so, um, so that was the big lesson, the lesson that you have to try really hard, but you have to be very re- realistic. So, so it's okay. realis- that's the word I was looking for. Realistic faith is the nice. key, key uh one, yeah. yeah, not blind face. <laughs> That's right, not blind face, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious because your co-founder is also uh, your wife. Um, yeah. How has it been like uh, dealing the business uh, with her through the ups and downs? Like, uh, do you uh, break from talking about business uh, or is it always because it's your passion, it's cool to talk about it and you're really sharing that? I'll tell you, Guillaume, Guillaume since you're French, I'll, uh, I'll tell you the... The, the joke, I, uh, <laughs> I was at an investor conference and somebody asked a question, what is it like to work with your wife? 
And I said, this great. Uh, we talk about work about dinner and we fuck in the office. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> now it's going great. I think we got together. Uh, Alina was uh, climbing the ladder of corporate America, developing amazing products. She was VP. Uh, she was doing mobile at uh, Bloomberg and she did uh, Pearson. She has a super strong uh, background in product development. She's obviously very, very astute when it comes to go to market. Uh, so we have a strong respect for each other, nice. and uh, and we find that um, when we disagree, it means that neither of us is right. Yeah, you know, like it, it, there's something not quite right that we haven't uh, perceived, and we uh, always, always work it out. So it's uh, it's a very um, very prolific uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. You you started. You have a partner also, right? So starting because the previous company, as I mentioned, the one that, where I started alone. Yeah. And um, you get a lot of advice. So the program always says we don't like single founders. We don't like single founders. And there's a good reason for it. It's very difficult on your own to take the distance and not think things personally. So um, when it's your wife, it, mm. it's 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 make it uh, much easier to. To, to to share information also we never complain when the other one comes home late from work right yeah because <laughs> uh, we understand why yeah <laughs> so that, that's, that's really helpful in our family yeah i like i like this answer <laughs> and uh and you were also you mentioned you were a solo founder i know we have like uh, in our listeners also a lot of people who are getting started sometimes they don't have like uh, co-founders so for people who are just like uh, starting solo what would be like uh kind of your advice because you also built some successful companies on your own so that's super tricky uh, because um, I've had many people uh, look for a co-founder and completely fail so and by completely fail I mean um, what happened is that they find something that they think is great they get in business with a person and things don't work out mm -hmm. and that's even more detrimental than being on your own right yeah, like if yeah. you start a company and, and it's a mess and you have to deal with that uh, with that headache so it's a very fine line what i would think is that um i had one experience that worked really well um my second company the one i, I, I talked about um, where we grew from zero to 65 people and five five and a half million bookings um i started when i started i i um, wanted to find talented engineers to build the software and i've got um, an email from somebody looking for an internship it was skype from uh, polytechnic uh, so that's how he reached out to me i said okay come do an internship and the guy was so incredibly talented that uh, i think six months into it i said i'm going to make you my co-founder and cto right so that worked well because it became my co-founder from my work with them nice. and i think that's that's probably a better approach he said to find people you think are going to work very well not make them co-founder get them started And then say, okay, that person can be my co-founder. And of course, it's not 50-50, um, obviously. Um, yeah. But there's enough stake that the person takes ownership and can share the burden with you. So that, that's what I would recommend. If, if you can find somebody, hire the best person for the different jobs. And if you can find somebody who's so excellent that you think that person can be my, my partner in, in, in carrying this company, then the, that's a likely uh, way to work better. Because looking for a co-founder, um, I, I see more more uh, failures than successes. Yeah, I agree. I agree. 
Well, that was uh, really awesome. Tons of uh, learnings. Um, to wrap up the episode, I usually like uh, ask uh, a couple of questions. First one being, uh, what's your favorite book or podcast for uh, entrepreneurs? Uh, so the book that I recommend to everybody is Never Split the Difference. If you've seen that book, uh, yeah. we're very sales-driven. So I think it's such a, an awesome book uh, for, for salespeople. Uh, the blog that I've read a lot as a, as a, as a, when I started company is Paul Graham's blog. So yeah. he... he, he It's all stuff, but it's still the, the reference for entrepreneurs. I think everybody should read, read the program. Uh, but now there's this new one by uh, the podcast by uh, Dharmesh Shah, who okay. uh, the co-founder of HubSpot. Uh, yeah. yeah, he has a YouTube channel that he started not long ago, and he addresses entrepreneurial issues. Uh, the guy is super smart. I'm super impressed. I'm sure you're impressed by him also. Right? Yeah. He's <laughs> HubSpot. Yeah, HubSpot is a huge success story. Yeah, 1.7 billion hour stuff we'd love to do. Um, so these are the, the, the resources um, that I recommend. And then I would add this nonviolent communication book that you and I discussed earlier. Um, I know it's uh, not directly related to entrepreneurship, uh, but um, if you can have a more peaceful life uh, internally and with your partners, then for sure you're more likely to succeed. So in the Definitely. end, you have to invest in yourself. Definitely. The the second question I have is, uh, what's, uh, who's, sorry, your favorite uh, founder? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I would have said Bezos. Okay. Um, I think he just nailed it. Uh, we, we, we've taken a lot of... Uh, ideas from him um, on how to make decisions how to run meetings or to architect our software, you know, with his services. He had the idea of uh, microservices before people thought of it. Um, I see he consistently take, uh, make the right move. Uh, yeah, I would say, I would say Bezos. Now, obviously Elon Musk is a spectacular entrepreneur, but it feels, with Elon Musk, it feels so amazing that it's not even worth Looking at like <laughs> the guy to come up with things. He's an alien, yeah. <laughs> yeah, an alien, exactly. So it's not interesting because he's on, literally he's on a different planet. Well, Bezos, you think that, uh, look, he, uh, the decisions he makes, it seems like um, I could make, you know, like uh, yeah. uh, plan to make. So, so, yeah. I just, funnily enough, uh, ran into him uh, two days ago uh, at a dinner in New York. So I'll wow. post that photo. Nice. With, 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 yeah, very nice. <laughs> Awesome. Um, the, the final question is uh, more about where can people follow you, follow your journey and uh, check uh, Chili Piper? Yeah, so Chili Piper, of course, on our website, we, uh, um, of course, use our own product. So if you want to talk to us, you can come and fill a form and book a meeting <laughs> in one click. Nice. Um, as I mentioned, we, we, we sell to enterprise, but even small businesses should uh, get onto our inbound solution um, early on as for me i mostly um publish on linkedin so, so now so that's probably the best way to okay. come and follow me we will put the link uh, of your profile well nicolas thanks a lot for uh, for your time and sharing uh, all these value bombs and uh, have an awesome day sure thank you thank you for listening to the bootstrap stories the only podcast where bootstrap entrepreneurs share their journey in all transparency if you enjoyed this episode don't hesitate to leave us a review 
And in case you want to see the interview, all episodes are live on the YouTube channel. Check out the link in the description and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Have an amazing day and make sure to also join us in our amazing Bootstrap community where we all helped each other to become successful and grow a profitable business. Take care and talk to you soon.